Hey, this is Matt Markin, and welcome to episode 44 of the Adventures in Advising podcast. Today, we're chatting with amazing guests from University of Nevada, Las Vegas, and Wayne State University. If you don't already, check us out on social media, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and TikTok at Advising Podcast, and YouTube at Adventures in Advising. Also, subscribe to our podcast. Find us on your favorite podcast platform. Without further ado, here's the episode. Welcome to episode 44 of Adventures in Advising. We have a couple of great interviews for you to enjoy on this episode. And in other news, we have something to share or for column to share, so go for it. A brief interlude to let you know that this is my penultimate episode as co-host. Adventures in Advising will continue, but with restrictions easing and international travel back on the cards, I will find myself in different continents and living through a host of different time zones over the next few months. Unfortunately, those changes mean that I will no longer be able to dedicate the time needed to the podcast. Thus, our next episode, number 45, which will be released on Monday, the 18th of October, will be my last. Yeah, it's crazy because we knew this was bound to happen at some point with either of us with work schedules and various other commitments. I'm just amazed that we have been able to do this for so long for what, a year and 10 months? Unbelievable. But we're not saying goodbye yet. We still have one more episode to go with the both of us. So let's go ahead and let's jump right into this first interview with Dr. Mercedes Butler. We now welcome to the podcast, Dr. Mercedes Butler. Dr. Butler is the College Opportunity Learning Concierge at the Provost Office at University of Nevada, Las Vegas. In addition, Mercedes is also a guest teacher for the Clark County School District. Prior to these roles, Mercedes was the Director of Student Success and Advising in the College of Arts and Letters Advisement Center at California State University, Los Angeles, and the Lead Academic Review and Retention Counselor at University of Southern California. Mercedes earned an EDD in Educational Leadership from USC, Master of Science in Counseling from Cal State Long Beach, a Bachelor of Art in Black Studies and Psychology also from Cal State Long Beach, and most recently completed a Graduate Certificate in Nonprofit Management from UNLV. Mercedes is viewed as a scholar practitioner and recognized for creating affirmative, structured, and inclusive environments that help students persist to graduation. Mercedes, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. Well, with with that bio, we're delighted to get the opportunity to chat to you. And I think we will have a host of topics to delve into today. But we always like to give listeners the opportunity to get to know you a little bit. And I suppose just in terms of, of how you came to work in, in higher ed and, and advising and, and how you find yourself where you are now. Can you talk to us a little bit about that journey? Yes, um, it started in, um, I'm going to start in 2000, 2001. Um, I knew I was going to college based on kind of the influence and pressure of my family it was uh, an expectation, but how I was going to get there, I wasn't sure. Thankfully for the TRIO program, EIS, um, they had a counselor that was coming out to the school. Um, they connected me with an EOP representative, being the first 
generation college student with help in the application process. And this mentor, um, Dr. Yvette Moss, uh, who is still in my life current today, actually really took me through the whole process. And so what started as being an EOP student, they really preached and taught us to understand the catalog, make sure you know which classes you're taking. You have two advisors, your major advisor and then your student support advisor and EOP. And so I listened. And what happened is I started creating schedules for friends. Um, it, It became like a passion of mine, making sure that my friends along with myself knew uh, the requirements to earn a degree. And fast forward to really um, 2000, when I graduated, 2006, I was getting ready to move to Vegas. <laughs> it's like a full, full circle moment for me right now. I was getting ready to move to Vegas. I have been traveling here, enjoying, and I was going to work in a casino. But Dr. Moss, um, she encouraged me to take an additional class in my graduating uh, year. And I didn't want to. Honestly, I did not want to. But because she had helped me so much, I decided um, I'm going to honor her request. And it was like intro to student affairs. Um, And it was taught by Dr. Don Person. And she at the time was the director of the SDHE program, Student Development and Higher Education Program. And it had a reputation out there. Like I knew about the program. They only admitted X amount of students. It was it had its own little uh, reputation. So I said, you know, whatever, I'm going to take the class. I didn't know Dr. P was teaching it. Um, I didn't know that one of the blessings would be um, preparing for the interview, uh, preparing the application. Those were some of the uh, tidbits that Dr. P shared in the class. Even that I didn't want to do, in all honesty, I can say now, because I was moving to Vegas. And so I said, well, you know what? I'm going to apply to the program because she's the instructor, right? I'm going to go through this process, but I'm not getting in. Not me, not the EOP girl who struggled. Um, And why would they select me over all these individuals, right? So I put the application in. I go through the process and I got accepted. And I just remember crying. (laughs) I remember crying because I really want to move to Vegas where I'm at now. And I just, I wasn't ready at that point. As Keegan would say, we were joking earlier with the theory. I was in over my head. I just, I didn't know what to do. Um, And so I, as you can see, went through the program. And really that's when I think the professionalization of, okay, this is really a career. Prior, I felt like my student work study jobs which were all in uh, higher education. Um, I was working on campus um, in kind of like an engineering recruitment type setting. Um, but I didn't really see it as a career. I wasn't, I wasn't sure. But getting accepted into the program, going through the master's program, which was very intense, SDHE was no notes for comps. Um, I mean, it was just this training battlefield of higher education. And it was there that I made a commitment that this was going to be my life's work and that I would pay it forward to all the individuals at Cal State Long Beach that literally held my hand to degree completion, that this would be how I would I would pay it forward as a 
thank almost like a thank you for life. Yeah, I like hearing about that. And especially, you know, a lot of what you're talking about, too, kind of is like that imposter syndrome about, you know, oh, should I apply? Am I good enough for this? And then had you not done it, who knows what would have happened. But the fact that, you know, you you decide, you know what, I'm going to do this. I'm going to put my app in and see what happens. And, you know, a lot of positive things happen from it. So it's like, thanks to your your mentor, <laughs> thanks to the, the TRIO program. And I think there's so, even we just talk about TRIO programs, there's so many benefits to it, you know, and, you know, it's sometimes students I'll think, I, I shouldn't apply. Or once they get in, they realize people have my back and that they're here to support me and give me like this solid foundation. 100%. But a lot of it comes with support programs, counseling is that negative, you know, connotation to it and just really um, stereotypes. And um, I even have friends who went through EOP at uh, Northridge and they wouldn't say it like they got in on their own. And to me, I walk in my truth. I'm someone that tells my whole story. I'm comfortable with that. The ups, the downs, the embarrassing moments, um, because I believe that's how we connect as as individuals and, and, and that it my story, I hope can motivate others. And so, you know, my hashtag is EOP to EDD. I, you, you, you counsel and advise students that end up like me and the work isn't, isn't done in vain. And, and without EOP, I definitely would have not been a college advisor. Um, I would have not made it through undergrad, graduate, and my doctorate. I called the same individuals since 2001 when I entered college and I've never left. <laughs> it's my life. And so um, it is key. The the TRIO program, if you're working the TRIO program, a part of TRIO programs, they work. They work and students manifest all of the conversations and the inspirations that are put out there. And um, yeah, you can go from you can go from EOP to EDD, EOP to a master's, EOP to any and any and everything that you you want and desire for your life. I, I love that hashtag. I think that's uh, fantastic, and and the willingness to discuss the the struggles. Now, I suppose there there are many different avenues that we could go, but I, I'm really interested in terms of your current role as the College Opportunity Learning Concierge, because it's just not something that we have here in Ireland um, that I'm aware of. So just really interested in in what the role in, entails and, and what the work is that uh, that you do. Well, concierge is, is it's really advisor. Um, it's a play on the casino, having a concierge help you with booking shows and rooms and with creating this workforce development program, uh, COP College Opportunity Program is a tuition reimbursement program similar. The most popular is with Starbucks and ASU. We're a difference with Enchi, the Nevada State of Higher Education, and MGM International Resorts is MGM writes us a check directly. So it's not, you know... The, the usual process, you apply, you enroll in classes. Sometimes with grade qualifiers, A, you get a certain amount, B, C, you give them your uh, report card, they even call them that now, or transcripts, and they cut you a check on the back end. Um, the COP is different where the students don't see a bill. Um, and my role is unique uh, within Inchi is that UNLB out of the six campuses that are participating, UNLB is the only one that has a concierge, a dedicated advisor to the program. 
Um, and it is borderline to me. It's, it's the same kind of work I was doing as the director of advising um, because it was a new program. We, we joked that we were flying the plane while we were building it. And so I take helping students graduate. I take working at the university very seriously. It's not a joke. I don't just come here to play. I don't have time for anything but student success. And so I just hit the ground running. And so, I mean, just literally I am doing everything from communicating um, with our senior learning concierge out of Inchi um, with requests to MGM. I plan out all of their degree sheets, their persistence, so they know what they're taking. They know when they're taking it. I'm talking with chairs and deans on reserving classes and making sure that the required coursework is put online. Um, I am working directly with the directors of advising here and the point of contact within the actual advising centers with building and strengthening that relationship to triple double check my work, my calculations. There's petitions, there's process and procedures that each advising center um, upholds. And so making sure that I'm staying in line uh, with that. Um, I'm surveying the students. I am uh, counseling them through the whole online educational process. Um, and so it is a play on academic advisor. But yes, from the it's definitely been from the ground up building the program. And my number one goal is really I am into <laughs> proactive, intrusive advising. And so I take care of everything behind the scenes. The only thing that uh, the COP students at UNLV have to do is focus on classes, keeping a 2.0 for undergrad and a 3.0 for grad. All paperwork, uh, administrative, all those barriers, calling financial aid, I'm calling them for them. I'm taking care of a lot of those loopholes so that they can focus on on success. Yeah, it almost seems like with with your role, you've definitely created that strong foundation and you have checks and balances in place to ensure that these students really do succeed and that they're, they don't fall through the cracks. And so that's really amazing to hear. And speaking of UNLV, so let's say someone asked, tell me more about UNLV. How would you describe UNLV? Go Rebels. Go Rebels. Wow. Um, my work mostly has been all besides UNLV at campuses in California. And so it, I'm going to two years in the role. Um, it, it, it's just finally set in that there are campuses that are student focused. UNLV is student focused, um, very hands-on. I enjoy working with my colleagues. It's a fun school where there's a hundred things going on. There's clubs, there's free pizza, there's movie night, um, there's painting sips, uh, there's 24-hour to me advising almost. I feel like advisors are answering questions at all hours and you can tap in uh, to 24-hour support, whether that's IT going to the library. It's, it's a place that is magical, honestly, and it took a while for me to actually believe it. <laughs> Um, we're talking with the directors of advising and just our uh, advising administrative staff here. I tell them that I'm like, is this one of you guys going to pull a trick on me and get crazy or something? Like, are we all literally working together and collaborating? 
you really want to help? You take your job serious? Wow. Advisors want to see students? Okay. And it is a place where I think because there's not a lot of opportunity like California, right? It's a, it's a college on every corner. It's Nevada State and it's CSN, our local community college, and UNLV. So people literally, advisors, staff, administrators, I think compared to California, really have uh, the time <laughs> to hone their skills and really tap into helping students because where else are you going unless you're, unless you're going to relocate? I think that does play a part. Um, but it's a magical place of student success and they will do any and everything to admit a student, to uh, fund a student, to help a student um, graduate. And, and I'm really proud to, to work at UNLV. I, 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 it's a magical place. I think that's a, a, a lovely turn of phrase and, and speaks to how you feel about the the institution, which is fantastic. I mean, you can you can feel that the passion come through. Now, if we if we take you back to your EDD, um, and and maybe the the decision to to undertake a doctoral program. What led you to to that decision and, and what was the the program like for you? Um, so I have this little thing <laughs> where every institution I work at, I need a degree. Um, the one thing that I, I do right in life is school. Um, and so I think I'm a little addicted um, to learning and the process and really utilizing my experience, especially the, the certificate. Um, working full-time, going to school full-time, advising full-time to enhance my conversations with students, especially my population now that are grown adults, they have families and grandkids and everyone's 35 plus. Um, they're working 40 plus hours. It's, it, it changes the conversation when I can say, I'm in school. Not only I'm in school, I'm at, I'm at UNLV. And so I was working at USC um, at the time and I noticed that the leaders all had doctorates. The president had a doctorate, all the vice presidents. Um, everyone with quote unquote power and influence had a doctorate. And at the time, I really wanted to do the PhD in psychology, but I've always worked and worked full time, went to school full time, and that was a full time PhD program. Um, and my lifestyle just would not allow me to stop working. And so um, I looked into the EDD um, and I decided to go for it. Uh, a couple of individuals that I work with had graduated from the program, some of the advisors on campus at USCB is one, one of the associate directors who really spoken to me and, and told me three years be done. Just knock it out. My boss at the time, registrar now, Dr. Frank Chain, um, really allowed me to go back to school with helping me adjust my work schedule and and in speaking de degree completion. Um, throughout the process of, of working, I had just taken on the lead advisor role, which was AKA director. So I was supervising, managing. I dealt with probation. When you deal with probation with uh, at a highly selective school uh, with different types of unique individuals. 
it, it comes with a lot. And so I remember filling out the application and I just cried because it actually makes me emotional right now because I remember getting the application in undergrad and it, it, it I threw it away. It was a thousand questions, a statement of this and that. And I was just like, whoa, whoa. Okay. Okay. And so when I filled out the EDD application, I was like, why nobody told me it gets easier? It gets easier with time. It all gets better with time. And I filled out the application, went through the process. And, you know, it's always the naysayers out there, right? Because you tell somebody you're, 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 you know, I got into the EDD program, ex- excited. I went to some coworkers. You know what they said? Oh, what did they used to call that? Um, they had a name for it, but basically the USC employees that started any program at USC, but we're going to talk about the EDD, they don't finish. That was the whole thing. Oh, you're going to start, but you're not going to finish. And I'm like, well, you know, I, 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 I preached degree completion. So I'm, I'm, I'm going to finish. I don't know about that until I got there. And um, I was like, oh, this is a different level. You can do the classes. Everyone's listening, advisors, students, EDD, PhD, master's, bachelor's, you can do the classes. I think the difference with the doctoral degree is that dissertation. And that's where I thought for the first time, I ain't going to be able to back up everything that I preach to students and my family and everybody, degree completion, don't go to college, graduate, because I don't know. I, I can't. I can't. Right. I don't even say that, but I can't. What happened is um, an un- unintended consequence. I the program is set up. It's three years. It's just like a year and a half. You're doing kind of the, the general classes, you know, leadership, diversity. And then the last year and a half is your concentration. There's a higher ed concentration. Uh, USC EDD is known for, you know, pumping out uh, uh, K through 12 principals and superintendents. That's probably the most popular. And then there's a higher education. Well, after SDHE, no, I'm hired it out. I, I got the theory. I'm good. So I said, I'm going to do educational psychology. Um, but what they didn't tell me is that year and a half cohort, my Tuesday night was going to, we're going to disperse. They went to higher education because they had K-12 background. And so I got to my new cohort of um, educational psychology students and classmates and was like, where y'all come from? Like, <laughs> I, I didn't even see some of you guys in the in, in the class. And one of the uh, my classmates, um, Dr. Uh, Aries Davis, she brought together a mastermind group and it was women. And we got together. And long story short, that developed into a USC recognized um, club called Jenga. And it's Swahili for build. And what we did is the eight of us. Um, there's eight women, eight black women. We uh, kept each other accountable. We wrote together. Um, we cried. We laughed together. And we said we're going to have 100 percent degree completion. You know, anything I do is degree. And then we ain't going to do it. We, we need to uh, agree to 100 percent. And we actually got 100 percent and earned 100 percent degree completion through that partnership. And, and 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 that collaboration. And so I got the EDD. Um, I got my director title at Cal State LA. Like everything just happened like perfectly and in, 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 in the right timing. But 
Um, to go back to your question, I think it's twofold. I always get a degree everywhere I work. Um, I think it's just something unique with connecting to the campus. And I am hopeful that in my future endeavors that the EDD will put me into uh, conversations and open up doors and allow me to apply to positions that um, maybe I can do with the master's. So that's what led me to the EDD. Yeah, it's almost like the the group that you had was kind of like you were each other's motivation too to finish. But kind of going back to when you said like you put the app in, it's kind of like depends on who you tell. You might get some positive response or negative response. And it kind of goes to like the saying like crabs in a barrel, mm-hmm. where when you put live crabs in a barrel, you take the top off, you might think the crabs are just going to escape, but crabs will <laughs> grab each other, you know, and hold each other down. And it's almost like that's kind of like if you tell someone and expecting like, oh, they're going to be supportive of me. And then like, don't you know the likelihood of of actually getting the EDD, passing your classes, doing all the research? Don't you know how hard it is, how much money it's going to cost? It is. And most most people do the classes. You can go back. If you have a master's right now, you've been thinking about a program, go back. You can do the classes. You 100. It's the same thing as the master's on steroids. You're good to go. It is the dissertation. And even with that, you can you can get you can get through it. But a lot of people don't. I mean, it's 50, it's 50, 50, EDD, PhD, business D, psych D. It doesn't even matter the doctorate. 50 percent of the people won't finish the dissertation process. And that's where we get the I always say welcome to the two percent club, the two percent in the United States population with the doctorate is because of that, that, that final paper and to my chairman, he rest in peace, Dr. Uh, Pedro uh, Garcia, who really um, just held my hand to the finish line. And every time I wanted to give up, he was, he was right there. He was, he was, he was right there. And um, without Jenga, without the academic review staff at USC, they, they started calling me Dr. Butler. And I'm just like, stop, you know, like, and it, and it gave me that motivation to to keep going until it was it was, you know, I could really use the Dr. Mercedes Butler at Gmail and not just have the email address. And so um, it 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 as always with my story takes a village, <laughs> takes a village and multiple people to really um, hold my hand and motivate me across the across the finish line. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Cracking the college admissions code just got easier. I'm Rebecca Gordon, your go-to fictional college admissions counselor for the rich and famous. Tune into The Admissions Game, Satire Edition, and uncover my top secrets for sure-fire Ivy League admission. Ditch the old Photoshop your face onto a water polo hunk trick. We reveal all the latest loopholes. So laugh and learn with The Admissions Game wherever you podcast. But again, like your your willingness to share that story, I mean, that's like with, with our students, like it, it takes a village and, and it's different people that you will meet along along the journey. Um, 
Now, I suppose like this episode um, and this or this interview will come out on our episode in the lead up to Nakata's annual conference. Um, and we were talking just beforehand. You've been to the international conference. So you have a lot of experience in terms of attending Nakata conferences, maybe for listeners where, you know, this might be their first annual or they're just interested in, in gaining kind of insights or tips. Are there anything anything you would offer to people who will be attending um, the Nakata Annual Conference this week? Um, interact, interact, take yourself out of, uh, out of your comfort zone. The first way that I did that is I'm big on volunteering. Um, it gives me kind of a safe way to kind of enter into the organization, meet other people that are volunteering, really kind of see um, the behind the scenes and um for me to, to step out my comfort zone once, even though most people say, you're not shy. They would have never associate that with me. But when I, especially in a professional environment, I like to kind of watch and assess first and then kind of see where, where um, I fit in. So I would say definitely step outside your comfort zone, going to those welcome meetings, um, interacting with the speakers before and after um, the sessions connecting with individuals that are coming from your campus or campuses close to you, uh, really putting yourself out there because Nakata, that's another also magical place, uh, uh, organization where there's so many opportunities. And I found in my new role where I, again, everything is kind of prescriptive that a lot of choices and options sometimes for students and advisors, it can become overwhelming. It's, it's overwhelming. You can pick 30 sessions and, and sometimes it's, it's okay to uh, seek out what others, what others are doing or to figure out, okay, this group of people are going to this session and really take your time and figuring out uh, which, what it is that you want. But I would say I spent, I think I started, I became a member in 2009. Yeah, I graduated 2009, 2008, maybe 2000. My program actually requires you to be a member. I want to say 2008, 2009. And that's where it started. I just almost follow people around because it was new to me to be in a conference. And this is a real field. And uh, this is my organization that's going to back me up with my publications and speaking. And um, when I go to the family reunions and talk with my friends, like, this is real, okay? This is a real career, uh, going to college and staying there forever. And so um, let that guide you. And then over time, take the step to volunteer um, and, and, and branch out into the sessions that you are really interested in. And after listening, what you're going to learn, and it took some time actually watching Matt, right? He's like a, a Nakata, like superstar, at least in my eyes, is you will notice, I saw his name multiple times, like being here is a full circle moment. I saw, and you don't notice, Matt, I saw your name multiple times. And we would say, what is Cal State is doing? Like, twin, they're always on, always on the conference agenda, also Hawaii. <laughs> and what are they doing? So I would go into San Bernardino's uh, sessions and I'm like, they do a lot of stuff as a group. They do a lot of stuff as a team. And that my first time actually presenting is due to you and your team in San Bernardino because I was like, well, let me do it with my team. Like, let's write this proposal. And our first time, I actually have to go back and look. I mean, I presented so much, I have to go back 
and because I want to make sure I quote it correctly, is in 2016. Uh, it took some time. Look how much time that was. I said I started in 2009, y'all. Okay, 2016 is when I was working at, um, at USC getting the EDD with my team. We wrote a proposal. Um, matching up with San Bernardino because we did probation also, going against the current, implementing the appreciative advising framework as a tool to retain academic probation students presented at the Region 9 National Academic Advising Association Conference in LA, California. So um, step by step, and that took a while for me to do that. And I really followed your model, Cal State, uh, San Bernardino's model, and uh, we put the presentation out. It went crazy because, you know, it's always auto and all this crazy stuff happened. Um, but we got through it. And from there, the, the, the motivation was high and we kept putting proposals out. And here we are many um, years later, um, still putting and sharing that information. So that would be my advice. Just get involved, step outside of your comfort zone. You can do it. It's a safe place. And once you get that first presentation, it's pretty addictive. Then you like, what else can I present on? Who else can I bring in from the team? And you've now presented, I think, a dozen times or more. And and I think this could be good too, right? Because let's say someone's attending the annual conference, whether it's in person or virtual, and they are like they get inspired by maybe a topic, a session they went to, and they're like, can I do this? Like, you know, you talked a little bit about that uh, proposal process, but uh, maybe you can give a little bit more in terms of, you know, if, if someone's like, how can I get started? And then maybe from the proposal stage or even when they're getting ready to present, um, any advice or tips? Because um, I know for one, and I think both of us agree, yeah, bring your team on because everyone's contributing. And it also means that everyone will have a piece in that presentation as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's the real professional development, right? I am one. I'm in this position because I don't put my professional development in a boss, a university's hand, a, a, a professional program. I take 100% full ownership. And when you become a supervisor or as a supervisor or manager, you have to be the change you want to see. You They expect you, not the president. They come to you with professional development, right? And so um how we got started i go back to advising right you always go back to your advisor for everything okay i my advisor my edd advisor again i use services i use the writing center i use all of the services each and every program every time because i need help and so my edd advisor uh dr evelyn felina um she is a part of Nakata and she was helping to kind of develop the doctoral uh, special interest groups at the time. And I reached out to her and I said, well, I put this proposal together kind of with Google and um, Nakata has some examples on the website. Of, Can you give me some feedback? And uh, she marked it up <laughs> with all her track changes. And what I learned from that feedback is it's a template. That's what I call it now. It's a template. Okay, you need um, uh, uh, an abstract. You need a 
You need an intro. That body really needs to be what what are you talking about? What does the research say? Is it is it practical? Is it theory based? And what are the learning outcomes? What's the what's the overall outline of your presentation? It can change, but you want to give Nakata and the proposals readers all the information up front so that they don't have to decide. And I've been a proposal reader. Also, that's one way that I give back to Nakata. And it's been a learning process of hearing and seeing um, those accepted and those not. And I'm like, it's the template. It's the research. It's 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 the overview. It's the learning objectives. It's um, kind of the overview of what the, the uh, presentation will look like. It's a real crafty title and and abstract. And so that's what I did. Went back to your advisor. Go back to your advisor. Right. The advisor helped me. She gave me the feedback. I put it in. Over time, you get better, right? It's almost addicting, almost like a tattoo or something, right? You put a proposal in and you just want to uh, uh, submit them everywhere, right? I stayed in the cottage. I feel safe in advising. It's my safe spot. This is what I do right. But I started to branch out because I realized it's a template. Oh, my gosh, it's a template. You just change the information. And those that are getting ready to present, um, this is your first time, is that you can do it. Um, even though it's an advising conference, not like we would tell a student, you're the expert. Not everybody knows the information. No one knows what you do and don't know. <laughs> so keep going. And uh, practice makes perfect. Practice makes perfect. Record. If you're doing it virtual, record yourself over and over and over. Um, have your students and your, your colleagues and your family and friends give you give you feedback. Um, and then afterwards, follow up. People will come. You always will get one or two or a dozen that will come up and they have questions. You're following them on LinkedIn. You're following back up. You're responding to those emails that are saying, I was really touched by this or you, you really motivated me or I didn't even think about this, that you're following back up with those individuals and, and thanking them for giving you that feedback. But um, you can do it. Um, and it is a template. It's a process. It's a template. Uh, my goal um, into, I think that was 2018, was to present at the regional, the national, and the international. And I achieved that goal with, with the template. Um, and then it, it just, like you said, Matt, it became addictive. <laughs> it became so addictive. I think that's really good practical tips for for people and and also like then when when you start the process then setting goals and like you know it doesn't have to uh, initially be uh you know you know set attainable goals and then build on, on those so yeah no i think that that's really good I suppose one of the other areas that you're involved in in terms of Nakata is uh, your your work with uh, Region 9 or your, your role there. Can you talk to us a, a little bit about that? Right. And this goes back to, to getting involved. I was always scared um, to take a leadership role. I was okay with volunteering, presenting, reading proposals, anything um, that didn't allow me to uh, really be responsible. Re- responsible, right? Like have like responsibilities to kind of help lead the organization in, in the region. And I kind of fell into it in all transparency. Um, checking my Nakata email, there was a vacancy for, for Nevada liaison. And I thought, 
well, maybe this is supposed to be. Um, I've worked. I, I finally made it to Nevada after all after all the twists and turns. I'm working with the MGM COP program that connects me to every campus, and I have a little window of time because this is the first time I've actually had a small population and cohort of students. I'm used to thousands and making it work and. I'm like, I have a hundred students and it's different. It really is. It took me a while to adjust. So I felt like I had the time and I put myself out there. Um, I applied and I was accepted. And so um, this role is to bring really the Nevada related um, successes and concerns um, to the, to Nakata and uh, to region nine. And I'm looking forward to leveraging my uh, connections across campus, across the Inchi institutions to um, push forward the academic advising um, agenda. I think here in Nevada, with just the schools being scattered, um, I don't know what's happening up north. I have really no idea outside of the COP. And so I'm looking forward to um, bringing all the campuses together and, and, and making sure that um, all campuses like UNLV, thankfully, because they pay for us all to have an Nakata membership because they're so great. But I don't know if that's at every institution here at, uh, in Nevada. So looking forward to just making sure that all advisors have access to Nakata and um, making sure that the leadership here, um, here in the state are aware of what we're going through as academic advisors. You know, it's all student focused, right? Student, 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 student. But what about the people that help? <laughs> we are people too, we are human, we need help. You need to tap in with us and understand um, what those students' needs are is coming through academic advising, okay? We, we, can, we can give you the answer very, <laughs> very quickly on, on what needs to happen and what needs to change. So um, yeah, that's my role. Nevada State Liaison. Yeah, so students first, but hey, the advising professionals that are working with these students need that professional development. They need those connection times. They need that collaboration. And one of the presentations that, that you've been a part of, uh, one was titled Collaborate, Share, and Learn, Creating Support Groups for Graduate Students. And that's also something that some of our listeners have wanted more about is, you know, we hear a lot about undergraduates, you know, a lot of what we read, the articles pertain to undergrads, um, but you kind of only see a little bit about graduate students. So with, with this presentation that, that you did, can you talk more about the presentation and why you feel like this was important to present? Mm -hmm. um, again, as you continue to uh, go to the conferences, um, and expand your, your network, you, you get more comfortable with additional topics. And uh, prior, if you, if you look at all the conferences, they stayed around probation and uh, you know, student success, but I expanded to uh, graduate students um, because this is my first time actually advising graduate students. It's been undergrad my whole career um, and it's different. It's, it's all the same, but the student is a student. That's my motto. And every student needs help, rich, poor. It doesn't matter, black, white, whatever. A student needs help and a student is a student. Um, but with the opportunity, with the conferences going online is you have the opportunity to actually record your video. And so I talk twofold, one, to share my story about Jenga 
and creating really support systems, which I did. And it's an organization still helping students graduate to this day at USC. Um, and also to tap in on um, tap in on the the importance of advisors uh, uh, gaining additional um, uh, degrees and, and information and, and knowledge. And so it was out of my comfort zone, um, honestly, because I kind of stay within <laughs> what I know. But taking on graduate students from five different programs, two di three different colleges, um, I had to learn very quickly. And so that was my motivation. One, to, to kind of practice with this whole virtual record world that's out there. And two, to know you're confident. You can you can step into your story as a graduate student and also advising students. And so um, that, that took time. But that's where that proposal, that proposal came from. And it goes back to graduate students doctoral students and you know who else we don't talk about in Nakata? <laughs> advisors. <laughs> so some of my proposals went to self and collective efficacy of advisors. How do we feel? How, where do we get our power to help students? How do we get our power as a team to help students? Because it's 99% student focused. We're so selfless as academic advisors. We put the student first, the student first. And that's one area I am passionate about is Hashtag we matter to advisors, hashtag advisors matter to, you know, that we take in a lot, a lot of that. And people like to, oh, it's different. You know, this is transactional. We're doing degree sheets and we need to just refer them to CAPS and refer them to someone that's licensed. Sometimes they don't get to the licensed person. It's us that they come to. It's us that they trust. It's us that they tell their secrets to. And yes, there is a time and place where licensed professionals need to come in and when to walk a student, when to refer a student, 100%. I'm not saying don't do that, but I think because we don't focus enough on the advisor, we don't even know all that we're carrying, all the secrets. We told, had a session on the secrets, the, the stories, the trauma, the successes of our students that don't make it, especially with the, again, negative stereotypes of counseling, especially we talking, I think it's across all students, but you get into students of color, yeah, I'm going to no counselor, you, whatever you, what are, what are you doing? <laughs> That's why I'm here to see you, to talk about my personal and to talk about my academics. And so, yeah, advisor, advisors, you know, development, and, and mental capacity and space. Graduate students, doctoral students are topics we rarely see um, just across the board, but particularly with Nakata and they're, they're important. So if you're listening and this is your wheelhouse, put in a proposal, put in a proposal. We need to hear from you. Stay with us. We'll be right back. You love listening to podcasts, but have you ever thought about starting your own podcast? Maybe you want to build a brand, grow your business, or are looking for an excuse to talk about your favorite hobby. Whatever your reason for making a podcast, Buzzsprout is the place to start. Since 2009, Buzzsprout has helped over 300,000 people launch their own podcasts. Buzzsprout walks you step-by-step -step through the whole process and will give you powerful tools to start, grow, and monetize your podcast. Ready to get started? Click the link in the show notes to get our free step-by-step -step guide to starting your podcast today. 
I would imagine there will be plenty of listeners who are nodding in agreement with you right now. And to that, if you know, you have dispensed loads of wisdom and loads of practical tips thus far. But if there are listeners who do want to get in touch with you, have follow up questions, want to gain further insights, is there a way that they can do that? Yes, contact me, especially if you are interested in submitting a proposal. We'll be having more information coming out about that through uh, Nakata Region 9. But you can contact me at Dr. Dr. Mercedes Butler, D-R-M-A-R-C-E-D-E-S-B-U-T-L-E-R at gmail.com. I am at Academic Help 101. You can find me the most on Twitter. <laughs> I just launched a, a, a Instagram, um, but I am accessible and LinkedIn. You can find me. Just look me up, Mercedes Butler. I might have it as Dr. Mercedes Butler, but um, you can definitely locate me on LinkedIn, and I am available to assist and to um, help motivate um, anywhere anyone along that professional development path or looking to go back <laughs> and um, earn that degree, earn that master's, finish that bachelor's, thinking about that EDD, that PhD, why should I get it, why not? Um, I'm in it right now, I'm thinking about dropping out, don't do it, degree completion is key. I am here to help. Mercedes, you are a tour de force. Uh, listeners, it is almost 11 uh, PM as we record this in, and I am absolutely buzzing coming off of this interview. So, just want to wish you continued success in your career, and to just say thanks very much for joining myself and Matt today. Thank you guys so much for having me. I really, really appreciate it. It's like a full, a full circle moment for me. It's uh, one of the highlights thus far um, of the year, and so I really appreciate the opportunity to share my story. I was absolutely buzzing after that interview. Mercedes is brilliant. Her passion for higher ed, for her students and for the profession just shines through. I thought she also offered some great insights and practical advice on attending and presenting at a conference, which is especially timely with Nakata's annual conference taking place this week. Now let's check in with Dane Zanowski from Temple University to see who Dane is interviewing next on Dane's Desk. You can find Dane's Desk on our YouTube channel at Adventures in Advising. Hello, Adventures in Advising podcast listeners. This is Dane coming to you from Dane's Desk, the YouTube video series that seeks to highlight advising stories. I'm here to let you know about a couple of videos that we have. We have one video from Jake Rudy from the University of Minnesota, who talks about a very important topic of advisor self-care. And then coming up, we have a video from my friend and colleague, Michalina Salavanti, um, who talks about some lessons that they learned during the pandemic while advising remotely. So again, you can check out these videos on the Adventures in Advising YouTube channel. Feel free to connect with me through LinkedIn or Facebook if you have ideas about future topics or if you want to be a guest on Dane's Desk. And as always, keep advising. Up next, it's Rachel Palowski from Wayne State University.
All right. Right now, we welcome Rachel Pulaski to the podcast. Rachel serves as an academic advisor for the Irvin D. Reed Honors College at Wayne State University. She has been working in higher education for 12 years and has been at WSU for nine of those years. In addition to her role as an academic advisor, Rachel also serves as the coordinator for the Honors College Living Learning Community, member at large for the WSU Academy Senate, chair of the Academic Staff Mentoring Committee, and chair for the Membership and Election Committee for the Academic Advising Council. Rachel primarily works with first year and second year student programming within the Honors College, as well as Honors College probation students. Rachel is actively involved in the Michigan Academic Advising Association and Region 5 for Nakata. She is a past president for the Michigan Academic Advising Association and is the current co-chair for their 2022 annual conference. Also, Rachel is the current awards chair for Nakata Region 5 and has served in this role for the past three years. Lastly, she served on the steering committee for the Nakata Advising Community, advising high-achieving students. She has presented at both Miyakata and Nakata Region 5 conferences. Rachel earned her BA in psychology at Oakland University in 2003, her MA in counseling at Oakland University in 2008, and her educational specialist certificate from Wayne State University in 2018. Currently, she is pursuing her EDD in educational leadership and policy studies with a concentration in higher education at WSU. Rachel, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. We're delighted to have the opportunity to chat to you, Rachel, and we will have lots to talk about given uh, your bio and, and all of the things that you juggle. But we do like to give listeners the opportunity to get to know you a little bit uh, throughout the interview, but particularly at the start, I suppose, in terms of like your path into working in, in higher ed and, and you, where you are now. Was higher ed something like you always wanted to work in or how did you find yourself where you are now? So that's a really interesting question. And I one I have had conversations about. So I always jokingly say that back in the day when I went to uh, my undergrad and my grad, higher education as a profession and an area of, of official study wasn't really a thing. Um, so when I was getting my master's in counseling, it was very um, K through 12 focused or community focused. So when I went to school, I was going to be a, a therapist for the rest of my life and did all of that training. And when I graduated with my master's, that was actually a, a job I took. And I, I worked at a residential facility for, for youth in Flint, Michigan, and off I went. And I got um, an opportunity to interview for a job in higher ed that I had submitted an application for when you, you know, when you graduate and you're just throwing out applications everywhere. It's like, I, I need a job and this sounds great. And I was like, you know, let's just see what that's like. I really liked going to school in higher education. And I think I liked that population and I interviewed and I really liked um, the position that they were interviewing me for. It was a pilot program for first year advisors before first year advising was really a big thing. Um, and I took the position. I said, you know, if I don't like it, I can always go back into counseling. And I took the job and I never looked back. That was 2009. And it really just was a perfect fit. I, I still use a lot of my counseling skills, but um, I get to use a lot of other facets of, of things that I involve in, a lot of problem solving. I always joke that um, 
advisors in higher education are very much like CSI of higher ed. You know, you get the, the problem, but then you really have to figure out all the components and what really is the problem and how to fix it. And I just really like that. So higher ed was never my destination, um, but it is definitely my, my final destination. If that makes any sense. <laughs> It does. And hopefully listeners know that you're not talking about the Final Destination movies. Oh, <laughs> this is true. Yes. <laughs> so you're at Wayne State University and we're recording this um, in early September. And, you know, you've been back on campus now for a few weeks now. How's everything going? It is so good to be back on campus. Um, it's so good to see students back on campus. And so here's an example. Um, as the, the Honors College pre-pandemic, we visit all of the Honors 1000 discussion sections. So Honors 1000 is a course that all of our incoming first-year students have to take. And we bring them t-shirts on the first day as a welcome. We're so happy to have you. And historically, when I would arrive to the beginning of the section and everybody was getting set up, it was super quiet. Students just sitting in their, their desks, nobody talking to anybody, just looking forward, waiting for things to start. So we were able to visit our discussion sections this year. Um, Wayne State has a mask mandate, um, and so everybody was masked up. Everybody was talking. Everybody was, what's your name? What's your major? Where Are you on campus? Are you off campus? They were starving for the community. And as an advisor, we worked so hard to try to make that happen, and it was just so great to see it naturally happening. You know, we were, you know, it took a pandemic for it to happen, but it was very obvious that the students will never take for granted that community that they were missing. And it was really exciting. I, I felt very much like a proud parent. You know, I was like, keep that conversation going and find a study buddy. It was it was great. And, and it's that those types of moments that make me so excited to be able to be back on campus. That's great to hear because our students have yet to come back onto to campus at the time of recording so i'm i'm eager to get that buzz back so it, it's great to hear that you know in stateside where students are back on campus that uh, that that really uh, exists and i suppose kind of something rachel maybe because it, the you know we have listeners kind of all around the world and in terms of say the honors college and, and things like that that would be very different from what we have in ireland and and the uk can you just talk a little bit about what that is and what that means so what the honors college is yeah that'd yeah. be great so the honors college on wayne state's campus is um considered a co-major so we attract high achieving students they have a primary major, so our students still declare a regular major, so biology, psychology, education, engineering. We accept students from all majors across campus, which is one of my favorite parts of the Honors College is that we are quite a diverse community of students. And we help students realize that high achieving can happen in any major on campus. So uh, we created a, a program, it's 28 credits that students will interweave into the credits that they're already taking throughout their majors um, and will earn honors credits in courses through whether it's a section that the professor has already designated as an honor section or they can do projects in 2000 level or higher classes, kind of a one-off in agreement with the professor. So if they're really interested in the topic of the course 
or really sometimes just working with that professor, they can look to um, engage in that. The, the structure of the program, they have a field learning requirement, so we definitely encourage the students to experience education outside of just the classroom. Um, they have a thesis that they end up doing. Um, so it's, it's really, that's just a very brief explanation. But the nice thing is all the honors credits are no, noted on their transcripts. It's noted on their diploma when they graduate. So it's a very you know, advantageous program for students for if they're going to graduate school or even if they're just going into the world of work to be able to have on that piece of paper, I guess a better way to explain it is when students say, what's the benefit of being in the Honors College? I will say, when you're done with college and you have to either apply to graduate school or you're sending that application into an employer, you need something to help you stand out, right? And so a lot of students will say, I'm gonna do this major or I'm gonna do this. The nice thing about the Honors College is it shows on paper all of the work that you've done. And so it can help you get in the room to tell them how awesome you are as a professional, as a person, show off your communication skills and your problem solving skills. The Honors College can help create that structure. Yeah, and I think that's a perfect way to put it. I mean, and it seems like there's such a benefit for those students being in the program. And it's exciting. I'm probably exciting for you to kind of watch them have, when they start in the Honors program to once they graduate and kind of really see how much they develop as students, but also as as human beings and professionals. And now you've been working at uh, in the honors program and you're an academic advisor. You're also the uh, coordinator for the living learning community in the honors college. So what does your role um, entail? For the, the living learning community is a piece of housing that our honors students can live in. So we have a designated space in one of our um, dorms on campus. And we get, um, there are other living learning communities on campus, business has one, engineering has one. And what we do is just help the students in that community be more engaged on campus, connect more on campus. We have peer mentors for that program. The RAs on that floor are honor students as well. We do some extra programming and activities in order to engage the students, create a deeper sense of community so as the coordinator for the honors part, it's really working with the RAs and working with our peer mentors to help them think about ways and, and meaningful ways to engage the students and also to make some of those connections on campus, right? I, I want to do this. I don't even know how and I can help with marketing or I can help with athletics if they sometimes will get a group together to go to a football game. Um, and then also, since they're honors students, we'll do some honors academic types of programming too. I'll do um, every once in a while, I'll go onto the floor and host open hours. So the students there can just come over in slippers and sweatpants and uh, talk about classes and things like that. So we do some on-site things like that as well. And you wear a lot of different hats at uh, Wayne State because I think Matt mentioned in, in your bio that you're the chair of the Academic Staff Mentoring Committee. Um, am I right in that? Can, can you talk a little bit about that and what that entails? Sure. Yeah. Um, and I guess this is one of those pieces is why I like higher education, because you can be involved in so many meaningful and, and awesome experiences. So Wayne State... Um, 
our academic staff through the provost's office has a mentoring committee. Um, and I was lucky enough to help with the mentoring program through our Nakata Region 5. And the Wayne State Mentoring Committee was looking for a new chair and I went for it and, and was, was selected and was able to bring some of those Nakata pieces into our mentoring committee. So what we do is we will pair um, new academic staff with tenured academic staff and we work with them throughout the, the year on creating meaningful goals, um, communication timelines, um, sometimes they're, the, the pair ends up having some something that they really want to work on, maybe presenting at a conference together. But it's also really just to help the new staff get acclimated to the university um, and to, to continue to explore why they're in higher education and help make some of the meaningful connections on campus that some of the more tenured staff uh, has been able to do. And and it's great too. It's great when you you work in an at an institution or a department that is very much wanting their staff to have that professional development and incorporate that into like their work responsibilities. And you know, in, like you said, you were bringing things from Nakata into um, the mentorship, and also you've been very involved with Miyakata and being a past president. Um, and I think there was also a time where you were. Within Miyakata, you were also part of um, helping with the mock interviewing for um, it was for those that were interested in becoming an academic advisor, correct? Yeah. So we've done a lot of informational interviewing where we have a section on our website of um, people who have been working in advising for a long enough time. Um, and people can just contact us and say, hey, I'm interested in getting into academic advising. Can you chat a little bit about it? And we get a lot of these questions. How did you end up in higher education? What are the things you like about higher education? Um, I actually had someone contact me and we continued communication. The, this person was actually working in housing. And, and this happens a lot, as you both probably know, that people tend to migrate to different areas of student affairs. And I started here and then I didn't even know that this was available. And now I, I think I'd be good at that. So let's let's talk about that. And and then he contacted me that he had an interview and we actually did some mock questions together of these are things that you should think about or have examples of that typically they will ask. And he ended up getting a job as an academic advisor. It was really exciting. But it, it's fun because I do really enjoy this profession. I like to put myself out there as, as a, a resource for people to learn more about it. So we can say like, this is your job, but there's also so many things that you can do and so many areas to get involved in. Um, it, I've, I've enjoyed it immensely. Yeah, I, I think you can you can hear that even in your voice. But alongside all the things at Wayne State and Miyakata, there's also your involvement with Nakata and with the advising high achieving students community. And I think for for listeners who might not be familiar with the the community, um, and I know you were involved in in a panel event earlier in the year. Can you talk to us, I suppose, a little bit about the the community and and maybe some of the the events that um, you've undertaken? Yeah, so um, the, the community that I'm involved in through Nakata is um, specifically for high achieving students. And Nakata has lots of different communities that people can be involved in through their membership. You know, um, probation, community colleges, athletics, 
there are a lot. Um, and it was a really great way to get connected more to what I felt was a very large organization. You know, uh, the first time I went to a Nakata annual conference, it's huge, it's overwhelming. And so it was, how do I break this down to a more connected experience for me? And I learned about the communities. And so I joined. Um, and then the first meeting I went to, it was, would you like, who would like to be invited and involved on the steering committee? And those that know me might say that I have a problem with saying no. And I was like, yes, I would love to do that. But it's it's exciting to be involved with groups of people that are also excited about the profession and want to continue to do innovative programming and um, outreach. I'm very, with the theoretical models for advising, I'm very proactive. So I'm always like, what can we do now to inform people about things that they might not have known about? How can we talk to students about things that they should know about to help them avoid stumbling blocks? Or if they encounter a stumbling block, they might have some information on what to do about it from the get-go rather than feeling kind of lost or overwhelmed. And the, the group that's involved in this community is, is very like-minded and very excited and energetic. And I couldn't help but continue to want to be involved. And I, I was in a panel that we did about probation students with high achieving students, because I think that that's sometimes people take for granted that high achieving students just enter college and then graduate in four years and need nothing. And, uh, and that's not as true. You know, we have lots of students that, that struggle. And so it was you know, helping to, to normalize that for a lot of people of there's lots of resources available and how do you communicate to a population of students that has never potentially, you know, gotten less than an A in a class that what they're going through is okay and that lots of students go through this experience and are completely successful and go on to medical school or go on to be successful CPAs and, and things like that. Yeah, that sounds like a fascinating um panel that you were on to really kind of, yeah, help normalize a lot of that. Because uh, I think there's definitely assumptions that are made regarding honor students. And that just because they may not know about um, honor students or the program or some of the issues that these students actually um, might go through. And it's also great that you're talking about um, the advising community, because I know one of the um, topics that many of our listeners filled out on our survey was they wanted to learn more about the different advising communities. So it's great to bring up this one. And speaking of the advising community that you're a part of, um, the community is also described as like identifying and addressing issues pertaining to high achieving students. So you kind of mentioned one like with the probation. Are there any other issues that you believe um, students face, especially honor students or high achieving students face at institutions and maybe how institutions can work to better assist those students and address those issues? Sure. I feel like what I'm about to say isn't unique to, to high achieving students. Um, and a lot of people listening might go, oh yeah, and it's mental health issues. Um, but specifically with high achieving students, you know, you have a, a student that's used to a certain standard of performance and comes to college. And if that standard is not met, there's a lot of anxiety, there's a lot of stress, um, especially for a lot of our students are, are very focused on graduate school. And so are, are hypersensitive to 
the grade, the numerical value. And so when they're not meeting certain goals that they're very used to meeting, there's also questions about the choices that they've made and who they're going to be, um, especially if our, we have a lot of first generation students. And so there's a lot of family pressure on some of these students as well of, you know, I, I can't let my family down. And that brings with it a whole set of, of issues and, and conversations. But I always tell all of my students in, in that first semester, there's a lot that happens when you come to college that has nothing to do with academics. So whether you're a high achieving student, it, I mean, which is a misnomer because all of our students are high achieving, right? Um, but it, there's the classes, but what else happens? You know, there's, um, are you living on campus or are you commuting, right? So figuring that out. If you're living on campus and you're living with strangers and there's roommates and there's that and there's time management. So you're used to going to a building where education kind of happened to you, right? Between this time and this time, you just went to different rooms. And then when you got home, you did your homework and it was a, is it you know, wash, rinse, repeat, right? Seventh grade, eighth grade, ninth grade. And now you have a class and you have three hour time change or not time change, three hour gap between your next class, but all of your friends don't have class in three hours and they wanna go run downtown and grab dinner but you really want to make friends. And so it's okay to skip class. You know, there's that. And this, we have a lot of students that work. So they're now trying to balance that. And we haven't even talked about the, flat, the fact that you have anatomy and physiology and comp two and communications and actual like book work that you have to figure that out. We're just talking about who you are as a person um, and where you want to go. And we have a lot of students that will come 100% I'm going to be a doctor. And then after their first year, they're like, actually, I want to be a teacher. But I've told everybody for years that I want to be a doctor. How do I tell people that I want to be a teacher? You know, and, and so there's a lot of my life is changing. But that's the exciting piece is that's what should be happening when students come to college. And I always encourage all my students, regardless of if they have a path, to let education kind of wash over them. Make sure some of the courses that you might think are just your general education boxes to be checked could be the classes that actually spur a change or, or get you interested in something that you might not have even known about and, and send you in a completely different direction. And that's what's supposed to happen here. Um, so, but again, with change comes stress and anxiety and pressure and students get very nervous about time to degree. I'm already two years into my program, and if I decide that I want to change and I'm going to be here longer, what does that mean? It just means you're here longer. But at the end, you're super happy because you made a choice that is meaningful for you. So that is an area, and I know that that's a hot topic kind of probably in every community within Nakata, how you deal with that, and high-achieving students are no different. And I think it's it's important that, yeah, to, to highlight that it isn't any different for high achieving students because transitions are difficult and change has to be managed and changing your mind is OK. And that's that goes not just for our students, but I think for advisors or anyone working in higher ed where you might realize that, you know, suddenly you want to go a, a different path and, and that's OK. And kind of going going with that or at least exploring it and seeing maybe that is the path I, I want to go down. So it's good that, you know, that the students have that that support there. Now, uh, 
you know, alongside all, all of what we've discussed, you, you, do, you also have another role within Nakata, which is the awards chair for Region 5. Um, and uh, I suppose, like, to kind of maybe a two-pronged question as such, um, like, can you talk a, a little bit in terms of, you know, what, what's involved with that because it might be interesting for for listeners who might be interested in that but also how do you juggle all of the things that you do rachel um so i'll take the first question for the first prong first which what kind of what is that so every region within nakata um has awards and grants that they offer to their members um so there's Awards such as advisor primary role, faculty advisor, advising administrator, new advisor. And these are ways to help celebrate our community. You can self-nominate um, and please self-nominate. There's, there's this worry that people have like, should I really nominate myself for an award? Absolutely, toot your horn. Um, or you can nominate other uh, advisors um, within your own institution, or if you know someone at another institution, there's never a better compliment than to tell someone that you think so highly of them to nominate them for an award. And then there's some supplemental uh, information that goes along with that nomination. And then, uh, and as a, a plug, the Region 5 awards are open on the website. They close November 1st. Um, and then I will gather members from the region to be our review committee. And through the Nakata system, they will review all, review all of the material and score all of the submissions. And then we will select winners. Um, winners, again, a misnomer, because I think everybody in the, the packets that I read are phenomenal. They are inspirational. Um, and then whoever is selected will receive a plaque. We award it at the region conference. Um, and then there are some grants that we offer for professional development. There's a Crossing Borders grant that we have, which enables someone to attend a state conference within our region. So Wisconsin, Illinois, Indiana, Ohio, and then um, Ontario and Nunavut, which is in northern Canada. Um, and so that's a really great way to help everybody continue to explore our region and to develop some more of that sense of community. Um, we don't get as nearly as many submissions as I would like. Um, so I'm glad that we, we can talk about that. I will tell you that all of the award chairs from every region recently just met. Um, Nakata brought us all together and we started to talk about creating some commonalities between our awards, universal language, um, because the core four, they call them, the, the primary the faculty advisor, the advising administrator, and the new are in every region. So making sure that our processes are the same, our language isn't the same. We talked about whether we thought the award was substantial enough. And so we were able to increase some funding for the, the, the prizes for those awards, I guess, if you want to call them. And, but it was also an opportunity specifically for our region to see outside of those core four, what are some other awards that other regions were awarding? And we really were able to take a look at revamping some of our awards. And we will hopefully for the next award cycle be able to introduce some new awards that we haven't had looking at maybe graduate students um, and encouraging some professional development for them. And um, we're also looking at the potential of creating an award that would help someone um, financially with going to the national conference. 
So it was a really great experience. And those are the things I like to be a part of when you have this community of people that are really excited about encouraging professional developmental, professional developmental? <laughs> professional growth um, within the field and, and really helping kind of these bigger institutions that have more resources available to, to help them flow in the correct directions. Yeah, and I like that idea about expanding the like the different awards, including like the graduate students. And who knows in a few years, maybe they'll expand it even more. But having been a reader for some of these awards, whether it's for the region or the global level, I always, when I go through through them, like they are so well put together and you see like the amazing things that people are doing across the globe in advising that as I'm reading and I'm like, this is going to be so difficult for the chairs to make those final decisions because I would want to just accept everybody and have them win the award. But like you're saying, everyone is a winner. And kind of going back to Mia Kata, like you, you know, we talked about like the mock interviews and being part of that, but then you were also a past president as well for that. When you look back on your time as a past president, is there anything that stands out as like something that you're most proud of or any memories that that come to mind? So what's interesting is I, I'm proud of it, even though it didn't happen. Um, so when I, um, I was president-elect in 27, 2018, I was president during the 2018, 2019 year, and then past president in the 19, 20 year. So the main duty when you're the actual president is to help facilitate the annual conference. Um, but if the region conference is in your state, you don't have an annual conference. So the year that I was president, the region five conference was in Detroit. Um, but that that's kind of a side note. When I became president though, I really, really, really wanted to get an annual conference north. Um, north of Grand Rapids. Um, for those that use, uh, whenever you live in Michigan, you can use your hand as a, a visual, the mitten. Um, so in the fingers somewhere or, you know, in the UP. And we had everything squared away. We had a facility in um, Traverse City that was going to host it. And then it was going to be in March of 20 or May of 2020. Wah, wah, wah. you know, the, the world shut down. And um, so that, that didn't end up happening. And then they agreed to do it the next year. Um, but everything was still a little um, shaky. And so we ended up hosting a virtual conference. So we never ended up getting the conference uh, up north, but I'm not giving up. And I was excited about the fact that we had found a connection up there. And also members were very excited about going. So I feel like that is something that I've kind of handed on to the board uh, in, in conversation to say, this is something that our members really wanted um, because we do have two pieces right to Michigan. And how do we make sure that the institutions in the North still feel very much a part of that community? Because a lot of our we try very hard through the, the Michigan Academic Advising Association to move the conference around the mitten. Um, and so when we're thinking of when to host, we will tend to say, okay, we're gonna try to host something on the west side of the state this year. And then the next year we'll try to host something in the east. And then the next year we'll try to host something 
in the middle-esque, you know, um, Lansing, Michigan State, Grand Rapids area, sometimes Central Michigan University and Mount Pleasant, um, just hasn't seemed to have risen higher than that. So I'm hoping now we can continue to add that fourth piece when thinking about where to, to host conferences. I think you can be justifiably proud because the plans were in place. It was just that the the universe intervened and, and circumstances far beyond uh, your your control. So the fact that you had gotten you know everyone to agree to it. So in at some point in the future, I have I have no doubt that uh, it'll it'll come to to be. Now um, you are also undertaking an EDD currently. Um, can you talk to us, I suppose, a little bit um, about that and, you know, what uh, what that's like to to be undertaking whilst also working full time? Yeah. Um, and that kind of goes to the, the second prong of your question. Uh, you know, how why am I doing so much and <laughs> how do we shuffle it all? Um, yeah. So this semester I started um, the my educational doctorate um, through Wayne State. I just felt it was time and it was important to start to, to do it. You know, I, I, I'm involved in a lot and I do hope that that takes me somewhere. You know, I, I love Wayne state and I hope it takes me somewhere here. Um, but you know, getting that educational background to, to start to take on leadership roles, I think is important. And Wayne state has a great program. Um, the nice thing about it is a cohort model. So I will have the same fellow students throughout my program, which I, I think is very valuable. And um, I'm also excited because I've been doing a lot of work with probation students and doing a lot of my ed specialist certificate. My field studies paper was on probation programming. And when I was doing that research and gathering the data, I wanted more. Um, and I, so that right now is, is my potential dissertation topic is to continue to, to dig into probation students and probationary program and things that should be included in order to make students successful. And um, I, I've been reading more about psychologically attuned messaging and, and things like that with students. And so it was like, this just seemed like the logical next step for me when working in this. It's let's just get the education, right? You know, it's what we tell our students, you know, you want to be a doctor, you got to go to medical school, you want to do these things. And so it was like, if I want to continue to do this study and to, to learn, um, I enrolled. So I am a Wayne State warrior through and through. Yeah. And it all connects back and it all helps with your professional growth, but it also connects then to the students that you're working with. And Talking about being at Wayne State, like you've been there now, um, I think from your bio, nine years. What does being at Wayne State mean to you and maybe more specifically working in the Honors College? Ooh, uh, I, I just love it here. It sounds cheesy, but I when I started in the Honors College in August of 2012, I after my first year, I said, I don't ever need to go anywhere else. I being able to work with all of the students on campus, you know, I'm spoiled in that, you know, I get to have such varying conversations with my students. I get to talk about 
theater and dance majors and I get to talk to pre-med students and I get to talk to future teachers and it's it's so inspiring and continues my passion for higher education because I think I get such amazing perspectives in the Honors College, which is very exciting to me. And that's why, you know, I love it here. I, you know, we're continuing to grow as, as a college. Um, the Honors College started at Wayne State in 2008, so we're still a baby college. Um, but under our, our dean, Dean John Corvino, we have a lot of really exciting ideas. We're very student focused. Um, we're always trying to think of more and innovative ways to engage our students, like the living learning community and things like that. So I just, I, I just love it. It sounds so silly, but it's true. I really like my, my sister tells me, you know, she can just tell when I talk to her about my job, she's like, you just really like your job. And I'm like, yes, I really just love what I do. And it, I, I come to work and I'm happy. And that that shines through, Rachel, I think. But maybe maybe building on that, I suppose one of the things that might be interesting for listeners, because you know, you are very accomplished, you've held a number of different roles, you juggle a lot. Anything that, you know, you are any advice or anything you you maybe learned during the pandemic or realized during the pandemic that you're going to kind of bring to your work as we move, you know, through the the new academic year. I suppose we're all like we're we're still as we record this, it's mid September. We're still relatively new in the year. Um, you know, I I know I'm certainly in in Europe and in other places we're yet to kind of head back into it. So anything that um, you might offer to to listeners. Um, I. I guess one of the, the things that I've really learned and and I'm trying to make sure I incorporate more into what I do as an advisor is to celebrate the small things. Um, as a proactive advisor, we tend to reach out to our students for big things. And sometimes it's it's happy big things and sometimes it's not happy big things, right? You need to, you're missing this, you're not doing this. You need to here's a meet with me, we need to talk about your grades or your classes, or we'll say, you know, congratulations, you've graduated. Um, but really trying to find, I think, the small moments to help our students get to that end goal. You know, so I'm, I'm really trying in my interactions with students to help them celebrate the small things, because I think that that was something during the pandemic, people were like, celebrating the small things, right? Um, so hey, this was a class that I knew that you were struggling with, like high five, getting through it and, and moving on or that internship or that study abroad or happy birthday, you know, type of things that to help make those meaningful connections with my students. I've been really trying to make sure that I am in the moment and I'm, I'm, I'm helping those students see that it doesn't have to always just be the big things that matter, but the small things um, are just as, as worthy for those those celebrations. I've told my students like, hey, God, you, you know, that's great. You should go like have a celebratory dinner. And they're like, what? I'm like, that's a big deal. And they're like, I, you know, that actually was kind of, it was really hard. I'm like, I know, it's great. And they're like, okay, yeah. And then I think that it helps them find victories along the way. And I just, that that's one of the things I, I think I've learned. And the power of <laughs> the power of no, um, which you know, starting my 
my doctorate program, my husband and I had sat down and, and talked about over-involvement, right? That there's so many hours in the day and I love to be involved, but really trying to make sure that I'm um, focusing my time intentionally and I, I have classes and, and work that I need to make sure that I'm, I'm pouring myself into as well. And so how to, to make sure that I'm not taking more on when I, you know, I have two small children. I have a two-year-old and a five-year-old. And so I think that that was a conversation that a lot of people had during the pandemic. You know, I was working from home and spending a lot of time with my kids. And so making sure that that is also still a piece that is very present when I'm involved in things to not be over-involved right now. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a delicate balance. And especially sure. since, since you're used to, you know, wanting to jump in and say yes and, you know, maybe I can fit this in and, and get it done. But yeah, you know, priorities kind of shift sometimes and really kind of depends on where you're at in the year and how much you have going on and how many projects and how long those are going to take to complete and, and being a mom and, and, and sure. you know, and then also just working with the students, especially within your college. And as we wind down with uh, this interview, when we were uh, emailing uh, back and forth to uh, get this scheduled, I noticed in your email signature, you have a quote. And it says, our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. So what made you choose that quote to put in your email signature? And what does that mean to you? Oh, wow. That's a good question. Um, I, I, it's the idea that everyone has limitless potential. And we need to not be afraid of that. And I think it also comes to the conversation we had earlier in that a lot of our students can be afraid of change. They can be afraid and nervous about a path that they were on, but they see something that might be better for them. It's a better fit. It's, it's more aligned with who they are as a person. And to not let that fear get in the way of, of making that choice and, or taking that jump um, that we are all powerful beyond measure and we just need to accept that and, and move forward and great things can happen. I think this has been an incredibly inspirational interview. Um, like, and I can see how, you know, people definitely respond to you, Rachel, be it your, your students or people in the, the various committees that, that you're involved in. And I've no doubt that that will be the, the case with listeners as well. And if there are listeners out there, you know, who want to get in touch with you, maybe to, you know, um, pick your brain about a certain topic or get more information, um, is there a way they can do that? Yeah. Oh, yes. I always tell students, like, you'll probably have to stop me about talking about education and advising because I love to talk about it. So my email, it's very easy. It's F is in Frank, G is in great, 6313 at wayne, W-A-Y-N-E Brilliant. And uh, we, I, I, I'm sure people will be able to, to Google you as well. And we'll have we'll have stuff in the, the show notes. Really, all that remains at this point is to wish you continued success in your career, in your studies and in, in everything that, that you do. And uh, I hope you continue to, to inspire others. I've no doubt you will. And thanks very much for joining myself and Matt today. Thanks so much for having me. It's been a lot of fun.
Some great insights from Rachel into advising high achieving students, staff mentorship and her role as the awards chair for Region 5. Kudos to Rachel for her ability to juggle so many different roles. Truly impressive. That will do it for us. Check out our YouTube channel at Adventures in Advising. Subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast platform and follow us on TikTok, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Advising Podcast. Until next time, sending positive vibes your way. And as always, keep advising. Don't